Um, and let me add my welcome. It's great to see you. Um, my name is John T. Um, and it's our joy this afternoon to turn to God's words. And we're going to turn to Genesis um, chapter 22. So if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible on your phone, then I'd love you to turn to Genesis 22. And with God's word open in front of us, why don't we pray? Let's ask that God would help us this afternoon, wherever we're coming from, however we are feeling this afternoon, that that we would hear what God has to say to us. So let's pray, and then we'll read. Heavenly Father, we praise you this afternoon that you are our good, glorious, magnificent King. And we praise you this afternoon that we can sing your praise, that we can speak to you in prayer, and that we can have your word open in front of us in a language we can understand. Father, thank you for this privilege, and we pray, please, that this afternoon you'd give us alert minds and soft hearts so that we'd listen to what you want to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, well, let's read it. Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to Abraham, father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. 
and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is a fairly well-known story, and it may be that you're quite new to um, Bible things and you've not heard this story before, but my guess is that many of us will have heard this before. And I don't, I don't know if it's just me, there are some quite troubling things that go on in this story, aren't there? Difficult to read this, and so it's like, oh, that's a nice story, isn't it? What on earth is going on? For a start, why would God ask Abraham to kill his son. Does that not bother you? I'm sure it does. And that's what I've been wrestling with this week. And to be honest, I've been struggling with it and thinking about it and praying about it and trying to work through what is going on in this story. And I want to suggest to you, and I want you to have it open in front of you because I want you to kind of follow with me and see if what I'm saying is really what's going on. I want to suggest that in the middle of this story, there is a question. A question that unlocks this story. A question that you could easily skip over or or sort of miss as you read it. But a question that I think is arguably one of the greatest questions that a human being has ever asked. I think it's that big. It's that good a question. And the strange thing is that this question comes out of the mouth of a little boy. A little boy asks the greatest question that has ever been asked. You see, here is Abraham taking his son Isaac in obedience to God, and we'll get to all the details in a second. Here is Abraham taking his son Isaac, and they're heading to offer this sacrifice. And Isaac says to Abraham, Father, we have the wood, and we have the fire, and we have the knife. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? And I want to suggest that that question, where is the lamb, is among the greatest questions that has ever been asked. I I want to try and show you this afternoon why it's such an incredible question to ask. It's an incredible question because it's not just in this passage, but what you discover is that this question actually could be put over the whole of the Bible. Where is the Lamb? If you want to know the, right, this whole book, right, which looks like a long, complicated book, it's not that difficult. It's all answering this question, where is the Lamb? That's what it's all about. Now, you may be very confused at this point. Go, what is he talking about? Don't worry, I'm going to explain it. We're going to work through it. But I want to set it up for you. And what we're going to see is that God's plan, God's promise, depends on the provision of a lamb. 
So if you're here for the first time, it's terrific you're here. But you join us in the middle of a series where we've been working through God and his relationship to Abraham. And we've seen over and over again that God makes promises. I will, I will, I will. God says, I am going to bless you and I'm going to bring blessing to the whole world. God has this plan for the whole of humanity. It's an amazing plan, a plan to put things right, to take those who are broken and to make them whole, to take those who are in suffering and to heal them, to take those who are crying and to wipe their tears away. God has this great plan and it's beautiful and it's magnificent, but it all depends on the provision of a lamb. You see, if there's no lamb, then the whole plan falls apart. (laughs) Okay, well, I hope I've um, confused you enough to get into the story now. And uh, we'll try and explain some of that stuff. What, what does all that mean? Well, we're going to go back to the story. We're going to work through this story three times. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to go once through it really um, fairly quickly looking at Abraham. We're then going to see it a second time, and then we're going to see it a third time, thinking about how it applies to us. Stick with it. It's going to be fun. I know it sounds like nine points, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Here's where it starts. The first thing I want us to see is a costly request. God comes to Abraham with what can only be described as the hardest thing that you could ever imagine that God could ask. And we're told right at the start of this chapter that this is God testing Abraham. It's a test. Now, of course, we hear the word test, right? What do you think of when you hear the word test? You think of school, you think of like, oh, am I going to pass, am I going to fail? You know, that that sort of thing. And tests, we think, what sort of a God kind of wants to make tests? Okay, jump through this hoop. Can you jump through this hoop, this hoop? I think that's a slightly wrong way to understand what what this word test means. Imagine I build a, okay, imagine I build a bridge, right? It's a magnificent bridge. And uh, I build it over the Thames, and I'm so confident in my bridge. I'm, I'm sure that I'm, my engineering is excellent. And it's, it's there. There it is. It's magnificent. And then I say, right, I'm going to get the heaviest lorry I can find to drive over my bridge to test it. What I'm doing is I'm not saying, oh, I'm not sure. Let's see if it breaks. I'm saying I'm so confident that I could drive a massive juggernaut across this, and that will prove, it will test, it will demonstrate how strong this bridge is. I hope this makes some sense. It's a slightly different way to understand test. I think what God is saying is, I know now that Abraham trusts me. I know he trusts me. I know that he is confident. And so I'm now going to prove to the world that Abraham really does trust me by asking him. I'm going to drive a juggernaut (laughs) by asking him to do the most difficult thing. You see, look, um, there's a difference between being tempted and being tested. So the Bible says that the devil is the one who tempts us, and he does it to destroy our faith. But God is the one who tests us, and he does it to strengthen our faith. Right? They're completely different. So let's have a look. God calls out Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. And then God issues this costly request. Take your son, 
your only son, whom you love. I, I mean, it couldn't really be more loaded up, could it? Take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac. It's that one. Take him and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Look, imagine you were Abraham. Imagine that you just received that request. Imagine your head spinning. This is hard. This is hard on so many levels, right? It's hard for a start because this is the son that Abraham loves. And Amos says, he looks at his son and thinks, well, how could I possibly give up my son? But it's not just the son that he loves. This is the son he's waited 25 years for. Right? We've been reading over the last weeks and weeks about Abraham waiting for God to give this promised child. And in chapter 21, last week, we saw at last God has given the son. At last God has given this precious son. So this is not just the son that Abraham loves. This is the son that Abraham has waited for. And now God says to sacrifice him? And not even that. It's not just the son that Abraham loves and the son that Abraham has waited for. This is also the son that God has promised will be the one through whom God blesses the world. Abraham, you're going to have a son, and from that son will come a great nation. So Abraham's got all this stuff in his head. This is the promised son. This is the son that God's plan depends on. And then God comes and says, sacrifice him. So on multiple levels, you've got Abraham going, but I love him, and I've waited for him, and your whole plan depends on him. If we kill the son, that's the plan over. God's request jeopardizes everything. It puts in danger all that God has promised. This will be game over if Isaac dies. It's that significant. It will be hard to imagine God asking a bigger thing. Which, to be honest, left me thinking this week, so why would God ask this? Why would God say this? Because God is not a God like the gods of the nations who demand a child sacrifice. In fact, he says, I hate those gods that demand child sacrifice. So what, why is he doing this? Well, I think that there's a clue in the fact that God tells him to offer Isaac as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. They're to go to Moriah and offer a burnt offering. Now, what is a burnt offering? When the rest of the Bible is very clear, a burnt offering is about dealing with sin, dealing with the wrong that someone has done. So because I have done wrong, you offer a burnt offering. It's normally an animal. You offer a burnt offering in order that atonement can be made, forgiveness can be, can be won. And so could it be that Abraham, right near the end of his life, God says to him, Abraham, there are many ways in which you have failed me. And look, we've seen that, right? 
There are ways in which, through the life of Abraham, that Abraham really stuffed up. Ways in which he abused people. Ways in which he lied. Ways in which he took matters into his own hands. There are a lot of ways that we found ourselves saying, Abraham's not that great. He did a lot that was wrong. And so could it be that at the end of his life, God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, your sin is so serious that it will require the costliest of sacrifices in order to pay for it. You will have to offer a burnt offering of your son. I wonder if God is underlining how serious sin is. It's not a small thing to offend God. Now at this point, if you think this sounds harsh and horrible, don't worry, hang on, there's some fantastic news coming, all right? But you've got to see how serious it is. God is not a God that you mess around with. And so God makes this costly request. Because this is how serious Abraham's sin really is. It requires this sort of burnt offering. So there's a costly request. But then notice the stunning obedience from Abraham. See, in the past, Abraham's sort of gone, oh, no, 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 I can fix this. I can sort this. I've got an idea. Why don't we try doing this instead? Let's have another idea. Let's try something else. But actually, it says in verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and off he went. What a remarkable act of obedience. That God says, do this, and Abraham gets up early and goes. He collects the things. Can you imagine that walk? To be honest, it's been almost too painful to imagine it. And I think it's underlined by the fact that it says in verse 4, on the third day, they have to walk for three days in order to get close to the place where they're going to offer the sacrifice. All that way, Abraham having to go over and over in his head what God has asked him to do. It's difficult, isn't it? If, you, if there's something difficult you've got to do, you, don't want to, you want to get on with it, right? You don't want to wait a long time. I will never do a bungee jump in my life. But if I ever was going to do a bungee jump, I don't want to have a three-day walk to get to the place where I'm going to do a bungee jump. I don't want to have three days of going over in my head, what if they don't tie it properly? And what if they do this? I don't want that. If I'm going to do a bungee jump, I want in my sleep someone to tie my legs, take me up on a ladder, wake me up and go, oh, John T, bungee jump, go. That's how I would, that's the only way it's going to happen for me. And yet here is Abraham. He has three days. Do you not think that on that journey there were points where he said, I can't do this. I just can't do this. It's too hard. Do you not think there were points when he looked down at his son and thought, we we need to go back. And yet his stunning obedience continues to walk. And then as they get closer, they leave the servant and they go on, just the two of them. Isaac's carrying the wood. I don't know how old he is, we're not told. Maybe 10, 12, something like that. And off they go. And Isaac knows what they're going to do. And that's why he asks his brilliant question, where's the lamb? And at this point you might say, sorry, Abraham sounds like a terrible dad. 
Surely if someone was saying this, you'd go, so God, I'm not doing that. So why is it that Abraham obeyed? I tell you that this is really important. Abraham did not obey out of blind obedience. Right? Abraham didn't obey going, yes, God, I'll do whatever you say. God is not some dictator. Abraham obeyed because he trusted that God knew what he was doing. Abraham obeyed because he trusted that God was not going to end with his son being dead. Because Abraham knew that there was a promise. Abraham in his head is going, right, you're telling me to kill my child, but I know that there's a promise and I know that you're faithful. I know that you won't end this in death, which is why he says to his servant, do you get it? The little hint in verse 5, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham is confident of where this is heading. And then when the son, when Isaac asks his question, Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. Where's the lamb, Dad? Where's the lamb? God will provide the lamb. Let's keep going. So his stunning obedience is an evidence of his confidence in God. In, in the New Testament, there's a book called Hebrews. And in Hebrews, there's a, a kind of commentary on what's happening here. And it's so cool what the writer to Hebrews said. The writer to Hebrews says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. So Abraham's walking along going, well, I know that God has made a promise. And I know that Isaac is the one that God has promised. And so even if I had to kill my son, I know that God will rise, raise him from the dead. That's what's going on in Abraham's mind. And so his obedience is driven by his faith. He doesn't know all the answers, though. He doesn't know how it will happen. And when you get to verse um, 9, all the action slows down. And we get these series of verbs that, that describe Abraham's actions. Verse 9, it says, When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife. Isn't that dramatic? The tension building. And as a reader, you, you almost find yourself going, no, no, no. Someone stop him. And it's only at that point, as Abraham has the knife in his hand, that God calls out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Do you notice how ready he is? Here I am. And then God says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Abraham's trust was right. And then we see God's perfect provision. Because at that point, Abraham looks up and there in the thicket, there's a ram. An animal caught by its horns. And so Abraham takes the lamb. And the language is so graphic. He kills the ram instead of his son. The ram is the substitute Isaac lives, the ram dies. It's a substitution. And now do you see that the offering has been made? So Abraham's sin that required such a costly sacrifice, the sacrifice is not to be Isaac, it's to be the ram. Look, when Isaac has the knife in his hand and has got it raised above his head and is about to kill his son, 
That will be game over for the plan of God. Where is the lamb? We need a lamb because the lamb is utterly essential for the plan of God to be fulfilled. If there's no lamb provided, Isaac dies, the promise dies, the story's over. And so God provides the ram. And the result is God then reiterating his promise, the promised blessing. The angel of the Lord came to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants. And then he reiterates the promise, I will, I will, I will. I will do this for you, Abraham, just like I promised, just like I said. Now, the, the key thing I want you to keep in your minds is that the provision of the ram was key to God's plan being able to be fulfilled. Where is the lamb? Because without the lamb, the promise is over. Right, you still may have all sorts of questions. We've been through it once. You may still have like, oh, what? so what? Big deal. Okay. Now let's join some dots. Are you ready? Let's make some connections to see what's really going on here. You see, we've, we've been saying that this question, where is the lamb, is a bigger question. One of the things that really bugged me this week was that God didn't provide a lamb. It was a ram. And I find that really annoying. Because surely God could easily have made it a lamb. That would have been so neat. You know, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? It's going to be a lamb. It's going to be a lamb. It's a ram. Oh, close, but no cigar, right? It's like, ah, oh, nearly, almost. I think the reason God gave a ram was because he wanted to make clear, this isn't the lamb. This isn't the lamb. This isn't the lamb that you really need. This isn't the lamb that actually you, my whole promise depends on. There's another lamb. This isn't the one. So yes, this ram in that moment is the sacrifice that means Isaac lives and the ram dies. So in that moment, this is the ram, but we're still looking for a lamb. And as you go through the pages of the Bible, the question is like that question from Isaac's lips. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? And it's not until you get to many hundreds of years later, and you get to a strange man called John the Baptist who was walking around and he was kind of preaching and, and then he sees Jesus. And do you, know what Jesus, do you know what John the Baptist shouts out as soon as he sees Jesus? He's like really excited. You know when you see a celebrity and you go, oh, oh, oh look, it's George Clooney, <laughs> right? Maybe you don't. Um, although someone was telling me last night that they did that with Andy Murray. <laughs> which is quite exciting. Um, anyway, but I won't tell you who that was because they're here. Um, so the, yeah, sorry. Right, when John the, Baptist sees, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, this is what he shouts out at the top of his voice for everybody to hear. Look, it's the Lamb. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, it's, so you've got Isaac. Where is the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? John the Baptist, look, there's the Lamb. 
Because this whole story is about Jesus, which means you've got to understand it, you've got to read it through Jesus, because he's the Lamb. And so if you now map this story onto the life of Jesus, then what you discover is that Jesus is made. The costliest request is made of Jesus. Jesus, will you give yourself as a burnt offering for the sin of the world? This is how it works. I, like Abraham, have done many, many things that are wrong. I, like Abraham, have lied and have treated people wrongly and have done things that are terrible. And I have done things against God. That There's so many things that mean I deserve to be punished by God. But God said, your sin is so serious, it will require the costliest sacrifice in the whole world. Not now the only son of Abraham, but the only son of God. God, will you take your son, the son you love, Jesus, and will you offer him as a burnt offering for the sin of the world? God, will you do that? Would you be willing to do that? And God's answer, all the way back in the book of Genesis, is yes, I'm the Father who will give my son. And so Jesus comes as the costliest sacrifice, the only son of God, the one God loves. He comes into this world. And Jesus doesn't just walk three days. For 33 years, he walks a road knowing where it will lead him. Knowing that it will take him to the cross to die. For 33 years, Knowing what lay ahead. Do you not think there were moments when Jesus thought, this is too hard, I can't do this. The sacrifice is too much. In fact, the very night before Jesus went to the cross to die, he's in the garden pleading with his father, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. Do you not think I can almost imagine Abraham on his three-day walk, saying, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other sacrifice I can bring, please, let there be another way, not my son. But there was no other way, because there was no other sacrifice that was costly enough. And so here is Jesus, and there is no other way, because Jesus is the one. And those 33 years were years of stunning obedience. And did you notice just little details which are so stunning? In Genesis chapter 22, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son, Isaac. As Jesus heads for the cross, they place on his back the wood. The wooden cross that he will carry. The wooden cross that will be the very moment of his execution. Like the parallels are so clear. Jesus is the sacrifice. And Jesus walks to the place of stunning, in stunning obedience. He walks to the place of sacrifice. And if you're reading this story, then you would expect as they 
mock him and as they whip him and as they drive nails through his hands and his feet and as they lift him up on a cross to die, you'd expect at some point the father to go, stop, enough. Release my son. But that voice never comes. It never comes. No one ever says stop. And Jesus goes all the way to death. He is sacrificed. His blood is poured out. Because there is no other sacrifice for sin. There is no ram caught in the thicket. There is no bull. There is no lamb. Because the lamb is on the cross. Here's the lamb. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is no one else. And that is God's perfect provision for our world. That is God's perfect provision for your sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you see Jesus as your lamb, you see Jesus as the one who's made the perfect provision. God has provided you a lamb so that you can live. And just like the ram took Isaac's place, so Jesus takes your place, and Jesus says, I will die, I will be your substitute, I will make atonement so that you can live. And as Isaac walked down the mountain, there was a ram dead on the mountaintop. And as we walk free, there is the Son of God dead on a cross. But he's not. (laughs) Because here's the great thing about Jesus. God raised him from the dead. And just like Abraham reasoned, well, if my son is killed, then God can raise him from the dead. So it is with Jesus. Jesus is the one who goes to the cross knowing that he will suffer as the sacrifice for the world, but he will be raised so that God's promise of I will, his plan to bring peace and joy and a world of no more tears so that that plan will be fulfilled because Jesus is the sacrifice who died and is raised again to bring his plan. into. There's so much here, right? I, I get it. Or I get that this is too much. I'm just trying to dump it all on you so that you can see it. And now God says to his son, the father says to his son, because you have done this, because, remember the father is talking to his son, I will surely bless you. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of the enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Because Jesus obeyed his Father, there is promised blessing. That's it. I mean, that's that's what we believe. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to say, Jesus is the Lamb. Where is the Lamb? There he is. (laughs) That was the second time through. Oh, man, so messed up timing. Let me very quickly do the third time through and just show you that this then has a challenge for us. Because actually, reality is that there are times when God makes costly requests of us. He will never ask you to do what he asked Abraham to do. He will never ask you to be the sacrifice for your sin. He'll never ask you to be the lamb. But there will be times when God asks us to do things that feel like a test, that feel too hard for us. And those are moments when we have to choose. Will we choose obedience or will we choose rebellion? 
that Abraham teach you stunning obedience, that reasons that says, God, you are good. And even if I can't see this, even though this dark valley you're taking me through, I know Jesus is the lamb. I know that you have forgiven me. I know you've loved me. And so I will obey you. For some of us, obedience costs us everything, right? I mean, literally, for some people in our world today, obedience to God is going to cost them their life. And the only way to face that is to reason and say, but God is the one who can raise the dead, and therefore I will trust him. And as you trust him, he will provide what you need. He will give you what you need in that moment Some of us look at Ukraine and we think, oh, I could never be that bold. I could never be that courageous. It's because you're not there at the moment. But if you were there and if you're trusting God, he will give you what you need in that moment to trust him. And he will take you to the blessing that he has promised because of Jesus. Sorry, that third run through was far too quick. But I hope you can see how actually it does then impact us. Because Abraham becomes a model for us of what it looks like to trust God. Okay, let's, let's take all this stuff. I guess the, 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 really the main thing I want you to go away with today is there's the lamb. There he is. And it's the lamb who covers all of Abraham's sin, all of Abraham's failure, all of my failure, all of your failure. It's the lamb who covers it all. Oh, please delight in him, enjoy him, run to him, trust him, throw everything on him. There is no other forgiveness. There is no other lamb. And as you do that, then ask that God would teach you to walk this road of obedience, to walk this road of trust, even in the face of the costliest things. I'm going to lead this in prayer, and then we're going to have some time to sing and to respond. Um, But let's just take a moment of quiet as we reflect on this. Heavenly Father, we We praise you so much for the costliest sacrifice that you gave the you gave the costliest thing that it was to give your son, your only son, the son you loved, Jesus, to be our sacrifice, to die in our place so that we might live, to be the sacrifice that covers our sin. Lord, our sin is that serious, and yet your love is that great. And so we pray this afternoon that we would see the Lamb. That we would know that there is a Lamb who has been provided and that your promise is certain because you've given a Lamb. And then that you teach us to walk this road of obedience. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.